Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Cut the Clichés, the show which gets behind the jargon and buzzwords of business, technology and sport. I'm your host Liam Fitzpatrick, founder of Comswork, helping business leaders reach their audience through PR and content. Every week we ask a guest to guide us through their specialist field. And this week we have Lauren Fell, co-founder of Cytosist. Now, Lauren and I first met when she won a global design competition for NASA and Freelancer.com. This week, though, we look at the psychology of choice and the role that quantum physics is playing in being able to predict how someone will act. That's what Lauren is currently researching. We caught up in a rather echoey room in Brisbane. And in this episode, we discuss how we go about making choices every day, the role of intuition and nostalgia, how we can reframe choices, including anchoring, uh, also how unconscious bias influences us, trust as a whole, and how shopping is a form of gambling, um, how to avoid decision fatigue in your day, and bias in interviews as well. Um, we finish by uh, looking at the upcoming research that she is working on. If you like what you hear, please rate our podcast on your platform of choice and leave any feedback on the Comswork blog page. Enjoy this week's app. Hello and welcome to Cat Clichés. I'm your host Liam Fitzpatrick, founder of Comswork. Today I have with me Lauren Fell. Lauren, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Lauren is the co-founder of Cytosist, along with a number of other roles. Um, so Lauren, maybe give us a bit of background um, as to kind of your roles and the topic that we're talking about today, which is the psychology of decision-making. So um, I have a background in psychology, um, so it's kind of brought me into various roles uh, around um, marketing, usability, uh, research, mainly research-based, which I do at QUT, uh, as well as um, some mental health-type roles as well. So um, I'm about to start a PhD as well in, at QUT um, in decision-making. Fantastic. Well, we first met um, when you just won, I think, a global NASA design contest. Um, can you tell us a little bit around um, maybe your background at QUT as a research assistant and how you got into that? Yeah, well, I, I actually, um, as I was going through my degree in psychology, I came across a professor up here that worked with um, combining psychology and quantum physics yes. actually so I, I'd done physics in school and absolutely loved it but went down the psychology path so um trying to reignite kind of two very basically yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect that there to be any overlap but there was so um it sort of brought me up here and this is quite a new field isn't it yes yeah it's, it's quite um small we just had a conference they have a yearly conference over well, in various places, but we just had one in Nice. Um, and yes, yeah, it was a good, good location, good excuse to go there. But, um, yes, so it's, it's quite a small. Uh, there's, it sort of brings together a lot of, um, there's a bit of cognitive, cognitive work, which is what we do. Uh, there's a lot of sort of economics type work using quantum physics and, and sort of the, the mathematics behind that, uh, to apply to, um, economic phenomena, I use it for cognitive phenomena. Um, and so this is just trying to use 
historical data to predict the future and what might be next? Yes, in a way. So it's, it's just making sense of how we um, make decisions and how we act and think and making sense of that will enable you to predict in the future. Okay. So simply put, how would you say we go about making our everyday choices? Well, the main thing is that we make everything simple. Yeah. That's the first step. I try to do that every morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you have a presented with a really complex problem, you tend to either break it down or you ignore certain parts and focus on other parts. Or ignore all of it and go on to a more trivial Sounds issue. Sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Suddenly the procrastination things seem like so much more important. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so then we'll, we'll break it down and we'll either, it'll depend on the type of decision and how fast you need to make it. Um, I, in particular, look at different ways of processing. We, um, there's a, a model called dual systems or dual process model that looks at system one and system two. And system one and system two are? Uh... So system, they're called a lot of different things and this is where you sort of... <laughs> Um, jargon comes in. Yeah. Some call it the fast, cold, the fast, um, slow system. Some call it a hot, cold system. System one and system two, I think, is is more of the the. I, I prefer that that way of saying it. But basically, system one or hot or fast is your intuitive, quick, um, uh, evolutionarily old system. So, so is you, that like your gut? Yeah, your yeah. sort of gut feeling. Yeah. So. It can be common with animals as well. They, they have some similar elements to that. And then your cold system is all in your um, our more human way of thinking, you know, our um, rationalising and our... So when we start to think about it, that's kind of when we move into system two. Yeah. And in fact, most of the decisions that we make day to day are in that system one. Um, because presumably a lot of the decisions we make every day are, are similar decisions that we for yeah, as well. and we kind of just revert to what we're used to and yeah. what we're um, our standard decision that we usually make in, in a certain situation. And I, you might not know the answer to this, but do you know how many decisions we have to make a day? I'm sure someone's come up with some sort of a ballpark. <laughs> um, I think it would be very difficult to uh, assess because there are so many things that we wouldn't even register as decisions, yeah. and that's again this this system one stuff. Um, You'd be making decisions without even realizing it. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. Whether to, to veer to the right or to the left when there's someone coming in the opposite direction. You know, if a light turns orange, are you going to go? Are you going to not? There, there's some that, that we just don't even know. I don't put making. my hand out and signal which way a person should go. Oh, yeah, path. that's a good idea. <laughs> just, just so that they know. Um, well, I've read a few stories about um, maybe decision fatigue and some senior leaders, like. Barack Obama or Mark Zuckerberg actually having kind of a uniform every day, just so they don't have to make that decision of what to wear. Or they might have wives to choose them for. Them. Or <laughs> too. Well, that's another point as well, actually. There's another article that um, was talking about friends, and you need a large social network to rely on their decisions for where to eat at restaurants, for what films to watch. So you're tapping into kind of a larger network of conscious so that you don't have to make those decisions for yourself. Yeah, so you rely on other people's yeah. expertise. Is that is that decision fatigue something you've covered in your study? Or? Yeah, so not directly in the, the most recent study that I've looked at, but uh, it's definitely 
something that that goes on like if you're and and it would apply to mostly your your more um thinking type decisions where you're analyzing the pros and cons and all of that you're using a lot of energy to do that our brains use so much energy um so reducing those uh is important and in fact that's why we have um this system one type um processes so to take a bit of that off yeah, yeah. and that's why we use her um i'm going to say heuristics it is a <laughs> it's a jargon word yes yes and maybe you can just give us a little bit of an explanation of heuristics yeah so um it's bandied around this word a lot and we use it in psychology and, and cognitive science but it's basically just means shortcuts yeah. so we use shortcuts to make decisions um so and, and that's reducing a lot of that cognitive load so it's things like um you like I was saying earlier, you ignore certain information, you take this, um, you know, and, and make your decision on fewer choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you also will um, lost my train of thought. I started thinking of something Sorry. else, <laughs> but you there are a whole range of different ways that that you can reduce that that um, cognitive load. And, and just use a shortcut. You, you so the idea those. is to break something down, as you said earlier, into smaller bite-sized pieces and then choose from that. Yeah, yeah. Ideally, yes. Often that's 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 a, that's quite a logical way of doing it. Um, often we'll just do things that you might look at and go, "Well, that's a stupid way of doing it," but that's just how we've developed to do to do things, you know. And, and there's all sorts of um, just ways that we'll instinctively make a decision based on, say, "Oh, that that." choice gave me a lot of happiness last time and yeah. just that emotional connection to that just makes it easier to jump to that next time okay. even if a different decision actually worked out better for you in the long run you your can't emotional push. attachment to it will influence yeah, we'll it. i suppose that's why people within advertising or use maybe music that might connect to someone's life previously in a certain era yeah they're trying to target a certain demographic yeah, yeah, definitely. That sort of nostalgic thing yeah. is, is important. And emotions are definitely something that come into play. Um, uh, if you make a choice based on emotion or based on that sort of intuitive sort of thought process, you're going to be, or you're more likely to be more satisfied with that choice than if you'd made the same choice using a very um, logical thought process. Yeah. If the outcome's the same, you're actually going to be happier yeah. with that outcome if um, you've made it intuitively and based on your emotions. Um, you mentioned before about the, the energy it takes to, to make a decision, um, and particularly if it's one you've not made before. I'm just thinking about diet and how that influences people's decision, because presumably if you eat healthier and you've got uh, more energy to burn, or I don't know if you eat loads of carbohydrates at lunch. Does that give you more ability to, to make decisions throughout the day? Or has it not been looked into? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen anything specifically about it because I, I think um, if your body is feeling tired, if you don't have enough energy for the rest of your body, then you're likely not to have enough energy for your brain as well. So uh, in that way, if, if you're, you know, lethargic feeling um if you don't have that energy then it's spread around uh, and it will affect how much how many decisions you can make sometimes you just get to the end of the day and you're like like, i just can't (laughs) don't have a mcdonald's burger yeah (laughs) Yeah. 
yeah. those decisions. Or don't um, make decisions later in the day when you're tired. That's a very good point, later. yeah. Well, that's it. When you're doing work, I've been told that if you're trying to do the uh, most productive type of work, do it early in the morning because it's going to fade throughout or your ability to to think as well as you can optimally is yeah. going to fade throughout the day. Yeah. And I'm just wondering what helps us kind of inform those decisions. You mentioned about uh, emotions. Are, are there any other things that help us inform decisions? Do you mean help as in help us make better decisions or guide decisions? Because there are certain things that will guide us to a decision that isn't really helpful for the the outcome, but it it feeds into our decision, which I think is what... Yeah, well, both actually. Um, Let me think. So memory, obviously, um, which is very affected by a whole range of different things, um, emotion included. Uh, um, There's things like how... uh, choice is presented to you um, yeah so framing framing yep so uh if someone says you know how likely are you going to go through are you are to go through with a procedure for instance some medical procedure and there's mm-hmm. a 10 percent of you dying you're much less likely to say yes i'll go through it than if they said there's a 90 percent chance of That's you surviving so it's it's just that you know and obviously if you put the same problem to a computer, it could quickly go, well, it's the same, it'll make the same decision. Yeah. But we violate that rule. So we, you know, break that rule of, I guess that's the law of total probability. Yeah, I've heard that if someone was presented with two bottles of wine and told one was expensive and one was cheap, and they, same wine, two different glasses, and they say that the more expensive one has nicer taste, more rounded flavour, whereas the cheaper one was flat and nasty. Yeah, that Aldi thing they did with yes. <laughs> that super cheap one. Yeah. Um, Aldi wine, I can confirm, their award-winning wine is fantastic. So. See, in Brisbane, <laughs> we can't buy it. That's true, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and it, I mean, speaking of products and, and having a um, list of prices, if you put in some irrelevant product that you don't even want and say it's a much bigger price point, yeah. You're more likely to choose the higher price of the other two options. Yeah. Whereas you wouldn't have done so if it was just so those that two options. Is that or was that something different? Yes. So a lot of these um, heuristics or shortcuts yeah. overlap a little. So, um, but yeah, anchoring definitely. If it, that's I think more to do with what have you seen first. Yeah. And if you. Um, so if you told something a hundred dollars. Um, but the next best one is $50, you're more likely to choose a $50 one than if you're told it's $50 as the first one. Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah, and you're sort of anchoring your decision to that first point that you've that you've looked at. The, I can't remember the name of it now, which I guess is funny because it's, <laughs> it's just words. To do with memory. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's to do with using um, what I was saying earlier, which is adding something else. It's, we use irrelevant information to inform decisions. <laughs> Whereas it doesn't make sense to do so, but we, we tend to do that. And in what way do we do that? So um, part of it kind of touches on that anchoring thing because really that, that extra price point item is irrelevant. Yeah. Um, but um, oh, I'm trying to think of any other sorts of examples. Um, the only ones I can think of at the moment are with products and, and seeing another product and using that to say, 
um, place it in a context that it sh- that another product shouldn't be in. Right. Um, but yeah. And what role does well, maybe you can explain the term first of all, but bias, because there's lots of different types of bias. Um, what role does that kind of play with our decision making? Yeah. So it's basically steering us towards an outcome that, that is not um, logically um, accurate. Right. So um, there's a lot of biases within heuristics. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, sorry, what was the second part of your question? Uh, so with with bias and what is it, and then what what role is it playing decision making? So how how does bias affect what chocolate bar I'm going to buy at the, at the store? Yeah. Uh, so if you have a, a bias towards certain wordings or colours or, or elements that the advertisers might put into these um, the packages and, and that sort of thing, yeah. then that's going to draw you, um, not definitively, but but make you much more likely to um, make so one choice over another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, I think we were talking before about um, trust and it's an area that you've studied as well, I believe, and how people come to trust one particular product or medium or publisher over another. How, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we've um, found that source is, is quite important. So the source of, of a, we've mainly looked at images, mm-hmm. uh, but also um, in the sense that, that certain institutions or people have a certain authority um, or the the illusion of authority, that's why um, celebrities are used in beauty products and that sort of thing yeah. like we we use that to say oh it must it must that must be yeah. accurate yeah. for the skin in the film therefore they must use that beauty yeah product. or I, I just trust oh, i really like that you know whoever she is i, I, I believe her you know um and uh, yeah that sort of relationship that we have with even a museum or the, the concept of a museum will trust something that, that comes out of a museum um, more than will trust something that comes out of, I don't know, a Facebook post. Yeah. Um, and you might know, like, uh, I have this one particular friend um, that they always post these things about, I don't know, crystals and all sorts of things, and, and but also stories. Mm-hmm. And I'll scroll through and I'll go, oh, that's weird. That's an odd story that, that you know, something. And then I'll scroll back up and I'll go, oh, okay. They posted it. It's probably inaccurate. I'll look yeah. at the, the, you know, where it's come from, and I go, okay, I'll do a bit of research, and like, that's not right. So that whole, and that's a really interesting thing to look at in Facebook and even marketing. Like, yeah. you, it's it's really source based, and whoever posts something, um, their trust comes into play, and your trust for them will True. feed you into can increase, that. I suppose, the trust in something if it's posted by someone that you, oh, historically has been showing themselves to be trustworthy. Yeah. Definitely. Or someone that you trust as if it's your best friend that posts a product yeah. or something. It's better than someone else. I suppose that's, that's the, um, the, the closer someone is to you, the more that you trust them, right? And yeah, generally. Generally. Yeah. You might be very close to someone that you wouldn't trust as far as you could throw them. But <laughs> <laughs> because you know them. Yes. Close yeah, exactly. So with um, Facebook and the issue of trust, how... I'm just wondering how they're going to try and get to the bottom of some of the sources of things that people have posted online, but that's probably more like a question. Like to verify or... Yeah, yeah. get to the bottom of it. Um, the psychology of it is 
still being worked on, I imagine, with a lot of the social space. Yeah, yeah, and it's quite complex. Like, um, you know, even just your trust in a person will um, depend on many different factors, and mm. the fact that they have promoted something would may even lower your trust in them. So it works both ways as well, and affect future, you know, endorsements because endorsements yeah. quite popular sort of thing. That's why I say no one trusts salespeople. <laughs> yep. Real estate agents, I suppose. You know, it's, it's like your perceived um, perception of motivation is really important as well. Yeah. So if you think someone's telling you something for a reason, you're intrinsically going to be less likely to trust what they're saying because it's not pure. Of course, everyone does everything for a reason, so it's kind yeah. of a um, flawed flawed um, thing there. But. There is no altruistic act, is that what you're saying? Oh, I don't, <laughs> don't want to get into that area. <laughs> it be a whole show Yes. Um, fantastic. Well, we were talking about bias before. Can you walk us through the different types of bias they are and how they affect our decision making? There's so many. It's <laughs> like literally... Probably hundreds, but... Um, I suppose that what that comes to mind for me is loss aversion, so you're more likely to care when you lose something rather than gaining something. Yeah, and that, that really comes into play. There's, there's a few that are on loss, um, and the importance we place on money that we've lost versus money that we've gained, yeah. and, and that sort of, or anything that we've lost and gained, um, and that really affects how people tend to gamble or even shop, because um, okay. you know shopping is a bit of a gamble as well especially yeah, for fruit <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, are you ever going to oh, wear it <laughs> avocados is it going to be right inside yeah exactly I've so, had a lot of experience with that yeah. oh no <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just wondering so in terms of framing uh, the choices that we have we spoke a little bit about earlier about if you frame something in one way you might be able to get different result but in essence you're still saying the same thing how how have you seen that work in maybe some of the psychological studies that you've yeah that's that's why you tend to not trust any of these sort of psychological studies i would would trust because we really um focus on controlling the framing of the questions and Mm -hmm. even to the to the extent where you you'd frame it the opposite way and put the results together yeah Yeah, and just make sure that you've you've um been above board there but there's there's plenty of marketing agencies that obviously don't do that because they have a motivation to make it pr agencies would you agree that you love this product i guess so (laughs) the options are yes probably definitely maybe not yeah yeah um but yeah you see there's the face cream that seven out of eight people would say that they love. You can just tell how that question was put to those yeah. people. <laughs> well, good news for those of us in marketing, bad news <laughs> yeah. for those of us buying the, uh, buying the products. Um, in terms of the, the decisions that we make every day, is there anything that we can do um, perhaps to reframe problems in our own lives to be more positive um, or any kind of if you're going through the day, can reframing help you feel happier? Reframing might um, help you make a 
more accurate decision if you sort of look at a problem um, within different frames to find out what you're actually want to decide in that sense might make you happier if you make a more correct decision although sort of determining what means correct is, is another <laughs> yeah. thing but I, I think um i think not thinking makes you happier <laughs> so it not overanalyzing yeah yeah um if you make a decision based on um intuition you're more likely to be more satisfied with the outcome than if you really deliberate over it. Because you've spent less time thinking about it, so you don't regret the time you think before about it. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's just in an intrinsic sort of... Um, you trust yourself, I suppose. Yeah, you. yeah. And often when you... The more you think about something and the more complex you make it, the less likely you are to even make a decision. You might just give up and... Yeah. So when you're given more choice it's really harder to make then a decision, right? Yeah, yeah. There was quite a famous study that was done on that, um, producing, you know, giving people more choices um, really made them less satisfied. Impairs them to even make the decision, makes them less satisfied with their choice because there's so many other things they could have chosen and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, so I think the importance, if you're talking about advertising, you're talking about even just... um, uh, if anyone that has a a simple shop online, an online shop, Mm -hmm. you've got to stop people from thinking. (laughs) So I don't know if you've ever sort of made an impulse purchase online and you've sort of, um, you know, you've chucked it in your cart and you're like, yeah, okay, I've looked at a couple, yeah, okay. And you go through, but there's something, a usability issue. There's something that's made you stop and then you start to think and then you think, oh, is this really the right one? There's probably more that might be cheaper or there might be that. And then you start to look elsewhere. Yeah. And sometimes if there's just so much there, you'll just get tired because it's the end of the day. Yeah. You'll not make the choice and then no one gets any money. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so make, from a usability mm-hmm. standpoint, really to, uh, the word seamless journey, I suppose, is used a lot. Yeah. Um, Reducing friction. Reducing all friction. Yeah. Again, we're looking at <laughs> cliches. But, yeah. Um, yeah, you just have to basically, in the end, it's just about um, allowing people to use their intuition to make their decision. Um, so you're empowering people in a way. You could say that. <laughs> As a marketer. As a marketer, they're empowering people. <laughs> yeah. Helping to make their, their decision well and to alleviate them of any undue need for uh, stressing over the decision. Yeah, because if you've gone through the whole process, you're not looking at any alternatives, um, you're, you're going to be happy with that decision anyway. So you're going to get the product and be like, yep, yeah, I'm happy with that. Because you don't know about any of these other choices because you haven't really researched it or thought really about it. Too much. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, so, yeah, for us to give ourselves the best chance of making decisions every day, you, you would recommend go with the gut. Yeah, in the end. You'd be happier at the end of it, whether you'd be better or worse off, you don't know. And if you do, if there is an obviously quite important decision that it's not a great idea to base, you know, to to do on your emotion. (laughs) So is there a difference between the types of decisions that you should make in System 2? Naturally, we will um, make certain decisions with System 2. Like, it's it's not so much of a, a... conscious choice too it's just it just happens that way so if it's if it's a decision you don't make a lot if it's um something that you 
are able to apply more cognitive work to. So if, if you got the time and the effort and you're not too tired. Um, like preparing for all math prices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and also the other thing is importance. Right. So, and importance is that on the effect it's going to have for your, the longer the for marriage, for instance, the longer the, the decision is going to last for, yeah. the more time you will spend thinking about it. And the amount of risk and possibly gain um, would, would come into that as well. But often there are plenty of decisions that are super important life or death that you have to make using your intuitive system because you have no time to make those decisions or you've got so much else going on that um, you don't have the cognitive resources to apply to that that problem. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like all things have to be right for you to, to apply a lot of thinking process to it. But mostly it's time. Like yeah. often those big decisions, we've got time to, to think about them. Yeah. We do. And is there an impact psychologically that having to make lots of these decisions every day is having on us, but wear us down kind of, you have to do it every day, the more choices you have to make. Yeah, and I think that's probably, you know, a, a I'm not gonna say problem, but that's something that we've got in society at the moment, we think a lot um, as we've evolved and as we've developed into um, a society with all sorts of computers and important jobs and, and um, not as much manual labor yeah. jobs. Um, we More think creative. a lot and yeah, yeah um, and, and cognizant sort of jobs, you know, like we're all up here. Obviously this is audio only, but <laughs> we're all up in our brains for a lot of the, the workload um, compared to, you know, um, the industrial age where so many people were working with their hands. And I think that in itself is, um, detrimental to, to mental health. For us to have that much time thinking yeah. about ourselves, yeah. Yeah, because uh, you, you, you're tired at the end of the day um, mentally, mm. whereas, you know, physically it's easy to recover from. Um, and and there's now there's all sorts of things. I'm sure you've seen the, the um, uh, mindfulness drawing and yeah. all of that sort of thing, and it's just about getting those getting out of your head and just doing something menial that you don't have to think about to just give us a rest from all of this thinking. <laughs> yeah. Have you looked at how technology impacts um, the decisions that we make? Yeah, I mean, it could work both ways. The fact that we live in a technological age means that um, uh, to work with the technology, often we've got to be switched on. Yeah. Um, particularly when it's not working the way you want it to work. <laughs> yeah. um, but also there's the potential for it to take away a lot of those decisions from us. Uh, AI can help with that. You know, some of the things that, that we, you know, even just a calculator is a basic example of yeah. something that's that's taking away that, that um, you know, cognitive load for us. So um, oh, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So it works for us and, and probably against us. But with with more AI being integrated into our lives, I think it will take away a lot of that, that a decision. A lot of the thinking. menial mental tasks that you yeah. to do as well as the physical ones. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, what's, what impact, because we're talking about kind of biases that come into play and how people make decisions, one of the biggest impacts, I suppose, from a professional sense is maybe candidate selection when it comes to jobs. Mm -hmm. Are there any studies that you've seen about how um, 
maybe the, the day of the week might impact someone. So if someone's looking at a candidate on a Friday and they're looking forward towards the weekend, are they more likely to go with them? Or towards the end of the day, they're tired, so they're less likely to go with them? Yeah, I think a lot of these sort of things end up in pop psychology stuff because it's, it's easy to just apply one brush. Yeah. But, for instance, if you're looking at someone um, that's making a decision about a candidate on a Friday, it might not so much be that they're tired on a Friday and they're looking forward to the weekend. It might be that they are more... Uh, they look um, more positively on someone who's fun and exciting rather than someone who's probably a better candidate but a little boring because they're in that mindset, it's the weekend, I'm yeah. looking for fun, so that's kind of aligning with them. Yeah, yeah, or they they are pushed towards them because of their own mindset. So yeah. it, I think it would be really hard to just apply a set of rules like that. It would um, There'd be so many other factors in play that we wouldn't be able to really assess. But I'm sure. But Very different. <laughs> well, certainly there are a lot of things affecting, yeah. I think, candidate um, decisions and all sorts of things that, that would be difficult for us to really put a finger on, but it's definitely happening. There are a lot of things yeah. changing decisions out there that, that aren't the most logical things to be making a decision on. <laughs> and just when we're talking about things that are logical and not, I was thinking about... Um, whether choices and decisions people make are based on or how it affects their choice of partner and whether people decide on uh, their partner based on their likes or even things that they don't like. What, what's the, is there, is there any choice decisions that you've seen within that space? Oh, that's a tricky one because, um, you know, there's those opposing cliches where it's you know opposites attract and um what's that other one fools never differ or whatever or you know people look for people that are similar to them yeah most of the time yeah people it's not so much opposites attract but it's yeah 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 well you could get into freud about that (laughs) but (laughs) um you know in different situations different things happen and different um effects Uh, come into play more than others so some person might have some sort of weird relationship with their parent Mm. and they that might cause them to find a mate or a partner that um, reminds them of that but then the same type of complicated relationship in another person might steer them right away from that type of person yeah yeah it's um, I mean, in psychology, you're basically making um, a lot of assumptions based on the highest probability outcomes. Like, it's that's why we use statistics. We're not as black and white as physics or even biology. So most of what we can say is is generally this is kind of something that tends to happen. Um, But, again, there's just so many things in play that it's hard to really make. Really I think it's interesting, right? There's so many factors that it could be, which is why I imagine research takes a little bit longer because yeah, yeah. to prove something, you have to look at it from all angles. And, and we need a lot of different, um, a big subject size, like a lot yeah. of different people so that we can look at what the most likely um, thing is across all those people and then we can say this tends to happen. We can't say it's going to happen every time. Presumably choices dependent on the, the culture and background of someone as well in terms yeah. of their society and the 
community and how they've made choices. Yeah, definitely. And they're, you know, their own pasts, um, evolution, oh, sorry, the, the genetics would come into play, how they've been brought up, what things they notice in how they've brought up, been brought up. You know, they, they might have, uh, um, one sibling might notice a certain way of yeah. the, a parent makes decisions and follow after that, another sibling may not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot that come into play. But what we can say based on the studies across large sample sizes is that this is a likely effect that comes into play, some of these, um, you know, framing effects and this sort yeah. of thing. Um, but it never applies every single time without fail. Okay. <laughs> there's very few things in psychology that you can say definitely every time. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Well, look, we're coming towards the end of the show now. Um, I think one of the one of the TED talks that I really enjoy is the the art of choosing, which is by you might be able to help me with the pronunciation of this professor Shina. So, I have a look at her TED talk. It's very very interesting, um, and yeah, it's about the art of choosing how people make their make their decisions. Um, maybe you could perhaps just go into a little bit about what you're looking at next in your research, because um, it genuinely very interesting. <laughs> so I um, am looking at, I mentioned that the hot and cold and the system one, system two processing. Yeah. Um, I work in a really narrow field called quantum cognition uh, and basically it's applying the weird behaviour that you see in very small particles, which is quantum physics, mm -hmm. and applying the principles of that and the mathematics behind probability that comes out of that. Um, to the probabilities that come out of people's decisions. So an electron has a certain probability of being here and here, and, and there's a lot of laws that, that come into play there. Yeah. Um, the probability of someone saying yes or no to a question, um, you can apply that same sort of model to that, and if it predicts better than classical psychology, um, then that's what we're looking for. And classical psychology has how much of a hit ratio with this? Um, in terms of it's not great when you're trying to predict things um, in that that system one yeah um, because there, uh, there's a lot of different ways that you know these heuristics that we talked about that you can use to predict it but in terms of having like this logic model of um, that explains it in a, in a way that makes sense to us it's hard because we just don't think in that classically logical way yeah. and neither do small particles work in that classical, you know, Newtonian, you know, if you drop a ball, it'll hit the ground and bounce at a certain rate. Like it just doesn't work that way. So in the same way, the way we actually make decisions isn't what we'd expect and isn't how we'd build a, um, a computer to make decisions. Yeah. People are surprised, even will surprise you and that's exactly. I suppose one of the things about human nature that people enjoy think. Yep, yeah, exactly. If we could predict everybody and what they were going to do, life would be very boring. But that is essence of what you're trying to do. Trying, yes. Yeah. I don't want to try and make the world a more boring place. I'm just interested. Oh, it is a very, very interesting area and, yeah, I'm very keen to hear kind of how you get on in that. Um, before we leave, is there anything um, around kind of the decisions that we've talked about this morning or psychology of decision-making that we maybe haven't covered? You'd like to... Hmm. Nothing I'm thinking of particularly, but in terms of just leaving off on, on something, I think um, don't overthink things. <laughs> <laughs> Makes us unhappy. That's the psychology I can get on 
thank you very much for coming today. If people do want to get in contact with you, um, what, what's the best way? Yep, um, you can just email me. Uh, it's lauren.elise.f at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time today. No worries. Thank you.